It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us, and good morning. I'm Scott Foster. We're going to talk about the uh, next couple hours, what we're going to bring you, all kinds of information coming your way. And we've got Susan Littlefield here with us. Is uh, another hot one, but uh, the corn's growing, right? Oh, it definitely is growing by leaps and bounds in this moisture. Or the moisture we got and the heat we got will benefit both them and the soybeans. Absolutely, and that's that's certainly much needed. We'll dry some places out. What do you got for us today, Susan? Well, coming up at 1219, we're going to find out more from Joe Wendell of Bertrand and Bart Beatty of Sumner. They walk us through the damage to fields, pastures, and rural roads following what we saw in the storms last week hitting your guys' part of the state. Then at 1245, Alex steps in as we hear more from Senator Deb Fisher on USMCA. There's a push. They were hoping to get it all taken care of by the August recess, but now it looks like it'll be sometime after September 1. And we all know the, the troubles in Louisiana with the weather over the weekend. That brings up concerns for movement of grain on the Mississippi River as we will get to hear from Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Okay, boy, that's that's interesting. A lot of problems there. So thank you. Appreciate it, Susan. Have no problem. Time. You too. Turn it over to Jason Jorgensen now. And, and, you know, one of the things that has become sort of a problem for small schools has reared its head once again. Yeah, it has uh, add Franklin High School to the list of schools. And in the past several years, have had a four-foot of football season because it just did not have enough kids but that news uh, came out this weekend and that just doesn't affect franklin that affects the seven other schools that were going to be playing them mm-hmm. this year so yeah, uh, but we will give you the uh, latest on that they hope to play a six-man jv schedule this year and then for the next four years they're planning on being six-man but that doesn't help them out this year and i don't think folks realize too with the way the nsaa does their scheduling they do it in two-year mm-hmm. increments so if you're a school sitting there you you, you kind of got to figure you're going to have enough for eight or do you bypass eight and play six and then hope so yeah you're just hoping and, and if one family moves out um, of town or something a yeah. couple kids get hurt and mm-hmm. you don't have eight guys to play football that's tough. Yep, that's a sign of the times in rural America, that's for sure. Also, we'll talk about some former Husker volleyball players who played very well for Team USA this past weekend. And uh, Big Ten football meeting days get rolling on Thursday, but they're actually underway for the Big 12 down in Dallas. And today they had an announcement on not exactly what you'd call the Big Ten network, but the Big 12 network, kind of, that does involve the Texas Longhorns and the Longhorn Network. They're trying. Okay. Good old Texas. All right. This might benefit more uh, KU and K-State. That would be good. That would be good. All right. Thank you so much, Jason. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. And, uh, Bob, after we start the week, stock's a little down just a little bit right now. Yeah, they're down a, a bit, uh, which maybe is surprising to some. The lackluster start uh, follows record high finishes for every major stock index last week. So some might be a little surprised. Meanwhile, investors are keeping a close watch on several economic indicators that are supposed to come out this week. Retail sales and industrial production data are expected tomorrow. The price of gas, meanwhile, as as you might have noticed, has gone up just a little bit. So uh, a little bit of a boost in gas prices lately. All right. Very good. That's all coming up. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And Paul Perkins in here with me today. And uh, boy, I tell you, we talk a lot about corn growing weather and, and crop growing weather. We've had exactly that over the last few days. It, it, it's it's amazing how much it has grown. Yeah, the corn has really taken off, especially the fields that were planted before a lot of those rains did hit. And a lot of those fields looking very good if they haven't been hit by some kind of other bad weather. But, yeah, warming right up across the area. We're starting to see that humidity creep back into our weather. It's not overly oppressive right now, but it is warming up rather quickly right now. We're already into the low and mid-80s across the area. Some upper 80s to around 90 as you head towards southwestern locations. The dew points right now, many locations, especially in the central and east, on into the low and mid-70s, including up mm-hmm. to 75 on that dew point in the Aurora area, which is not uncommon there. Yeah. And those uh, heat index readings, when you team up with temperature with the humidity in the upper 80s to low 90s, pretty much region-wide across the area. Woo, so. it's going to be warm. Might yes. not be a great day it's to It's just go the to noon the hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But otherwise, it is continuing to warm up today and tomorrow. Pretty similar to what we saw yesterday with some sunshine and temperatures on into the 90s. Later today and tonight, right near a front, some thunderstorms are likely across western Nebraska. Then those storm leftovers will move into the central and east later on. Already a little bit of light rain trying to get started from southwest South Dakota into eastern Wyoming from about Rapid City down to Wheatland, Wyoming and to the west of uh, Laramie. That is near that front. And some of those remnants of those thunderstorms moving into the Nebraska Panhandle later today, a likely chance of that. The leftovers for us in the central and east. Some of those storms could be severe, the best chance of severe weather across northwest and north-central Nebraska, where the Storm Prediction Center does have a slight risk for severe weather. Thunderstorms will can be a little bit more scattered than widespread for later tomorrow and tomorrow night, so not as great a rain chance. The best chance of thunderstorms tomorrow, mainly across northern Nebraska, Chances for severe weather also will be on the lower side. The main blast of heat and humidity, though, for Wednesday through Saturday. We'll see a ridge of high pressure build north from the southern plains. Winds will turn more to the southwest. and allow That will allow the hotter air to surge to the northeast into our area. That heat and humidity for the mid to late week will make it feel like it's 100 to 105. By Sunday, that ridge will start to break down. Temperatures will be slightly cooler but still warmer than usual. Our long-term forecast indicating warmer than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. this weekend through early next week. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are likely to be slightly warmer than normal to seasonal by the middle of next week through July 28th. So up and through about early next week, looking at some pretty good heat over the next several days. Near normal to below normal rainfall is predicted for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 28th. El Nino conditions appear to be ending, which indicates some drier times ahead for the Midwest. The eastern Pacific sea surface temperatures coming down pretty rapidly. If sea surface temperatures in the Pacific Ocean continue to fall significantly in the next month or two, that could lead to drier than normal conditions in the Midwest through the rest of the summer. Now, the easing of El Nino could also lead to more tropical storms in the Atlantic Ocean and Gulf of Mexico. Weather factors impacting the markets include a hot and stressful five-day period in the Midwest and a dry week for the Southern Plains wheat harvest. The remnants of Tropical Storm Barry will drift to the northeast and remain a focus for heavy rain from the Mid-South into the Northeast U.S. Mostly dry weather will prevail through the end of the week from California 
to the central and southern plains. Building heat will affect much of the central and eastern U.S. The heat and dry weather combination will be stressful to pollinating corn and developing soybeans, along with causing livestock stress. More seasonal temperatures are indicated, though, in the Midwest about 10 days from now. Hot weather with little to no rain in the southern plains will favor the wheat harvest this week. Row crops will have some stress with some irrigation definitely needed to sustain that crop progress. Well, I don't know if you noticed it, Paul, but look at South Dakota right now. Chamberlain, South Ooh. Dakota, which is west yeah. of Mitchell on I-70, 104 heat index right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 89 degrees, and their yeah. dew point is Uh-oh. 79 in central South Dakota. So that looks like, it, I don't know, almost looks like that could be an anomaly because everybody else is like 66 or 70 or mm-hmm. 71 on their dew mm-hmm. point. So I don't know if somebody threw Maybe. some water on that or what. <laughs> but literally, <laughs> literally did that. All right. Well, good good stuff. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. Flooding impacts fields, pastures, and roads in central Nebraska. I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Up to 10 inches of rain came in a short time period last week, leaving homes, businesses, and fields flooded. In Gosper County near Bertrand, Joe Wendell sets the scene of how the floodwaters came in. The rain primarily started around here around 6.30 or 7 at my place. I actually thought we were going to miss the rain but it, it had been raining west and north of us for many hours before that. By 8.30, water had been up to our garage, and by 9.30, the garage was flooded. This had never happened before, and there was water backed up in fields and running in places that I'd never seen before. While some fields saw small damage immediately, Joe points out that total damage from the flooding may not be known until harvest time. Most of the damage to the crops um, obviously was in the lower ground and ground that is near drainage areas or creeks. However, there is more dam- water damage than normal in all fields due to the excess rain. A lot of this won't be realized until you know the combines are in there at harvest. There's also going to be more nitrogen loss than normal. This won't be seen until a lot of this won't be seen until later in the growing season or at harvest. Ranchers face similar challenges as erosion, swallowed fences, and cattle drifted pastures in some areas. The biggest damage that I've seen in pastures. Um, is fence being washed out or gone from erosion. There's many herds of cattle that are mixed up with other pastures. On the rough pastures, there's a lot of mudslides and a lot of bottoms that are covered in silt. Obviously, those bottoms that are covered in silt, you know, the grass will take a while to come back. There could be, you know, some loss of calves and and cattle. Calves, a lot of the calves in the big range pastures, people aren't going to know the extent of loss until the dams rescind or probably until the calves are weaned. Aside from the economic impact to crops and livestock, rural infrastructure like roads had already taken a beating from the brutal winter and spring. Wendell says they're still drivable, but in need of repair. There was a lot of roads that were damaged going into this. This definitely made it a lot worse. I mean, there was a large number of roads that were damaged from this rain. Most roads are drivable right now. Where the heavy erosion occurred may take up to six months or a year to to get things repaired you know so they're halfway back to normal while flooding was the main highlight of the heavy rains in areas the storms also produced strong wind and hail bart Beatty last week woke up to phone calls of damage near eddyville wednesday morning about three o'clock in the morning was a squall that went through up west of eddyville and just laid a lot of hail down in a short fashion i believe probably cut about a five mile wide by 12 mile 
strip through there and uh, turned several pivots over in the area and we had about 300 acres that was was hit really hard and about 180 of that's going to be zeroed out there's just nothing left so we we had no idea because here at our main farm we had we had no weather whatsoever maybe a little bit of wind but now that the waters have rescinded and the clouds gone away ag producers are looking at how they can repair and prepare for the next round of weather. 2019 has tested not only ag producers, but all residents of central Nebraska, and they continue to push on and look towards better days. I would just say, you know, for everybody involved in agriculture in this area, you know, and really across the most of the United States, it's been a, a challenging year due to Mother Nature. But with that being said, in our area, I think we should be able to be very fortunate that most crops, livestock, and pastures look as well as they do. Again, we talked with Joe Wendell of Gosper County in the Bertrand area and Bart Beatty of Dawson County near Sumner and Eddyville. When you want the latest in ag news and market information, follow, like, and listen to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check in on sports. Jason Jorgensen in here with us and some more preseason uh, recognition for Adrian Martinez. Yeah, a lot of hype, that's for sure. The sophomore has been named to the initial Maxwell Award watch list. Of course, he returns a pilot to Husker offense after a record-breaking freshman season. Last year, he set 11 school records after becoming the first true freshman quarterback to start an opener in school history. Last year, if you remember, he threw for more than 2,600 yards and 17 touchdowns. He also rushed for more than 600 yards and eight more scores on route to being named to the All-Big Ten Freshman All-American Honors. He ranked 12th nationally and led all freshmen nationally in total offense per game, 295 yards per contest. Now, he is one of the three players that Nebraska is sending to Big Ten Media Days this week in Chicago. He'll be a popular guy. I bet he will. There, there will be a lot of reporters around Martinez. And only a sophomore. That doesn't happen very often that they send a sophomore. Yeah, the, uh, the sky's the limit for that guy, that's for sure. Big 12 football media days are underway in Dallas. Commissioner Bob Bowlesby announced today that the league will finally have its own conference sports channel this year called Big 12 Now. It's a cooperation between the league and ESPN+. Now it will serve as a network for the eight schools who aren't a part of the Longhorn Network or Fox Sports Southwest. But they're they're edging in that direction. And if you're the Big 12, I don't know how you continue to function without the kind of setup that the Big 10 has gone to and ACC and Pac-12. And It's good news for the other schools, yeah, for sure. That's for sure. Well, over the weekend, the NSAA announced that Franklin High School will forfeit all eight of its varsity football games for the upcoming season. According to Activities Director Adam Betcher, the decision was made after having to forfeit games at the end of last year due to injuries and low participation numbers. This next season, Franklin will play a JV six-man schedule after that. Franklin plans to play six-man football for at least four seasons. The Kearney Area All-Star Basketball Games were held last night at UNK in the boys' game. Lexington's Ajak Wakur scored a game-high 26 points for the Reds, but it was a black team winning at 93-87. And the girls' matchup, the Red beat the black 67-59. Megan Fisher of Pleasanton scored 14 points to help the Red squad to the victory. Kaylee Coomer of North Platte St. Pat's had a game-high 16 points to lead the blacks. And the Tri-City Storm has announced its regular season schedule for its 20th year in Kearney. That seems hard to believe. The Storm will play host to the Lancers on Friday, October 4th in its home opener. They'll also open up with five of its first seven games on home ice during the month of October. The regular season will conclude on Saturday, April 18th, when Tri-City plays host to in-state rival Lincoln. 
That is a look at sports. For more, you can check that out anytime. KRVN.com. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, lots going on as we start to get uh, ratcheting to a little closer to the fall sports season. Summer will be gone before we know it. Where did that go? Oh, easy for us to say air-conditioned room. That's right. <laughs> it seems the same here. Thanks, Jason. At least one person has been hospitalized after part of a ceiling collapse at a veterinary center in Lincoln. First responders were dispatched around 9.30 this morning to the Nebraska Animal Medical and Emergency Center in Lincoln. The person had been pinned, but was freed by first responders within a few minutes of their arrival. The person's name and condition hasn't been released. Fire officials say there was contracting work underway at the center, but it's not clear whether that work was connected to the partial ceiling collapse. The center said on its Facebook page that the animals were safe and that the center would be closed for the rest of the day. The Nebraska Attorney General's Office has filed a misdemeanor charge of official misconduct against the top prosecutor in Custer County. The charge filed earlier this month against Custer County Attorney Stephen Bowers. The complaint did not provide any details about what led to the charge. The complaint says, though, that between April and October of 2018, Bowers committed official misconduct. The spokesperson for the Attorney General, Doug Peterson, said she couldn't add anything to what the court document said. Three railway cars are carrying ethanol derailed in Hayes, Kansas, causing officials to evacuate a handful of homes as a precaution. The Hayes Post reports that no one was hurt when the cars jumped the tracks Sunday afternoon. And Hayes Public Information Officer Kim Roop says the public wasn't in danger because there was no leaks. But fire officials set up a 300-foot perimeter around the area in the immediate aftermath, shutting down a few roads near downtown. Pictures show that one of the cars was on its side. A man has died after his arm was sucked into a pond overflow pipe in rural Kansas. Saline County Sheriff Roger Soldan in Kansas says a deputy's responded around 2.30 this morning east of Salina. The Hayes Post reports that 75-year-old Earl Redden of rural Saline County had gone out about 9.30 Sunday evening to clean a clogged overflow pipe on a pond on his property. Soldan says it appeared that he was unable to free his arm and drowned. Back in Nebraska, Loritzen Gardens in Omaha says a putrid stench emanating from its grounds is coming from another bloom of a Sumatran plant. The Titan Arum is known scientifically as Amorphilus Titanum. It began to open up after its bloom cycle began 18 days ago. Garden staffers have dubbed the rare flower the Amazing Stinko because of its foul odor. The flower last bloomed in 2017. The plant will be on display uh, and usually lasts for just one or two days in bloom. I'm Dave Schroeder. A common theme for the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, we just want it done. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting. U.S. Senator Deb Fisher recently joined me in the Nebraska Soybean Board studio to discuss progress on the USMCA. The U.S., Mexico, and Canada signed the USMCA last November to replace the existing North American Free Trade Agreement that governs more than $1.2 trillion of mutual trade. Mexico last month became the first of three countries to ratify the trade deal, and Canada is poised to follow. 
But where is the U.S. at in ratifying the agreement? You know, I uh, that's that's another one where I think it's moving along. You know, it's moving along. It's a good deal. It's a good deal for agriculture. It's a good deal for manufacturers. Um, the Mexico government, they stepped up and, and have ratified it. They passed that. And you feel like things are moving. Well, now it feels like things aren't moving. Uh, although I just heard that Secretary Mnuchin and Speaker Pelosi are having conversations once again. The reason I bring that up is it, it does depend uh, on what Speaker Pelosi is going to do. This has to start in the House. She has to bring up the USMCA in the House and have it passed there before the Senate can take it up. So that was kind of good news the last day or so to hear that they are talking once again because she had to shut off uh, all conversations. Uh, Ag Secretary Purdue uh, visited with him um, a few weeks ago, and he, and he was feeling pretty good about it. He believes once it, it, once it does get up that it, he thinks the votes are going to be there for it. So uh, it's just a question of, of being able to um, have the Speaker put this up in the House and then, uh, and then make sure we get the votes and get it done. It's, um, it's a good deal, as I said. It, um, it has good things in it for working families. It has some um, things in the text that deal with the environment, which is the first time that we've had um, an agreement like that have that in the text and not in the annex of the agreement. So there's, um, there's a lot there, and I think the discussion in the House um, needs to take place, and they need to focus on the, on the good things that are in it. U.S. Democrats have threatened to block the process until their concerns over enforcement of labor provisions, environmental aspects, and regulation of the pharmaceutical industry have been addressed. Last week, we learned the White House will send the USMCA to Congress after September 1st, prompting many to wonder if the U.S. will ratify the deal before the 2020 presidential election. Senator Fisher. It better be. That's what I hear from Nebraskans. It better be. You know, we are... um, we are hurt in agriculture. It's uh, a downward cycle on prices. We all know that, that our prices cycle in ag. Well, the prices aren't that great. Uh, the uncertainty with trade has not been good. You know, we'll have good news that the market's going to open in Japan, uh, which is good news that the market for beef's going to open. Uh, but we're facing challenges with China that I don't see any resolution happening quickly there. So we need to get the USMCA done. Over $3 billion uh, is what the United States has in a market with Mexico and Canada. Um, that's important for this state's economy. If we, don't, uh, if we don't turn this around in agriculture, it's going to really hurt families. But it's going to hurt families all across the state because agriculture is the economic engine for the state of Nebraska. You put on top of that uh, the disasters that we've had, the flooding, the blizzards, more flooding, uh, the uncertainty that that has for people. Uh, we, We need to get a trade deal done. The president hears that from me every time I see him, every time I talk to him, and I know he hears it from many of my colleagues as well. He is uh, committed to getting this done, but he realizes also that it um, needs to start in the House 
so there again, I'm, I was pleased to hear that uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin is um, visiting with Speaker Pelosi on this, and hopefully they'll come to some kind of resolution so we can uh, take this up and get it done. I think that that's going to provide, obviously, more certainty for people in this state. Mandatory country of origin labeling, or COOL, was not included in language of the USMCA. COOL was repealed by Congress in 2015 after the World Trade Organization ruled in favor of Canada and Mexico and against the United States. According to Reuters, the ruling would have allowed Canada and Mexico to impose $1.1 billion in retaliatory tariffs each year if the U.S. had not ended mandatory COOL. And Senator Fisher does not see it coming up in the USMCA. I really haven't heard too much from the Trump administration on cool. It, uh, it is a hot topic here in the state of Nebraska. It's a hot topic in my neighborhood up in Cherry County in the Sandhills. Uh, I'm a cattleman. Um, as a beef producer, I know that we produce the, the best beef around. comes from the state of Nebraska and comes from the United States. But it's, um, it's a subject that just, um, it's hard to get traction on it. And uh, I, I don't see that coming up in the USMCA. That again was U.S. Senator Deb Fisher's comments on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. Reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska's Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at the financial markets and see what the stocks are doing across the world. Let's begin in Japan. The Nikkei was up 42. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong also up 83 points. The FTSE in London up 25. And the German DAX index up 64. Not something we've seen very often where all four major uh, world indices were up. Here in the United States, kind of a mixed market right now. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 26.83. The NASDAQ was up a point, and the S&P were down three. I'm joined by Bob Brogan, who will, of course, as always, make sense of it all. No, I don't think I'll be able to make <laughs> sense of it, but uh, uh, stocks are a little bit lower in midday trading as a decline in banks offset solid gains in technology companies. And the losses follow record high finishes for every major stock index last week. The S&P 500 index pushed above 3,000 for the first time last week. Investors are going to keep a close eye on several economic indicators this week. Retail sales and industrial production data are expected tomorrow. Several reports that could shed more light on the housing market's health also are expected. Data this week could push the Federal Reserve closer to cutting interest rates at its next meeting in July. Meanwhile, there's a, a big case going on in Norman, Oklahoma, over uh, uh, a trial that uh, to determine whether Johnson & Johnson was responsible for some of the problems that have been had with opioids and uh, opioid drugs. So uh, that trial is continuing and uh, closing arguments have been taking place in that. Also, uh, the average U.S. price of regular-grade gasoline has risen by about 10 cents per gallon over the past three weeks across the nation to $2.83. Crude oil prices have something to do with it, and also they're saying that uh, Hurricane Barry, Storm Barry, 
has uh, not really had a whole lot of impact on the prices or the supply. So uh, that remains to be seen whether it has any latent effect or not, but as of right now, not really. Well, and right now, just check that real quick, but uh, oil prices are down even a little bit today to below $60 a barrel. They're at fifty nine fifty nine. so you're right. It doesn't look like uh, Tropical St- Hurricane Barry, Tropical Storm Barry did affect it as much as it looked like. Semantic Corp is down big right now. Bob down 15 points as uh, it looks like they may be taken over by, by Broadcom. So I guess if you have... Uh, Money in Semantic Corp. It's uh, not doing very well today. Not really, and uh, but uh, it's nice to know what the field is and what's happening in order to make decisions that affect you in the future. Absolutely, that's very true. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. KRBN News. The National Weather Service has confirmed that five tornadoes touched down in eastern Nebraska. When the story breaks, we're on it. A Nebraska county will seek further review of the $28.1 million judgment awarded to six people who were wrongfully convicted of murder. Depend on the KRBN Newsroom. Her radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather at krbn.com. I'm Bob Brogan. I'm Scott Foster. I'm Dave Schroeder. News is what we do. The impact of hurricanes on the infrastructure of moving grain. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Mike Steenhook is executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Over the weekend, everybody was watching what Hurricane Barry was going to do and how, from an agricultural perspective, it was going to affect the Mississippi River. It, I mean, it, it is a real essential you know, part of the whole agriculture logistics chain. When you look at all of U.S. soybean exports, 60% of, of exports leave from that lower Mississippi River between Baton Rouge, Louisiana uh, to the Gulf of Mexico. New Orleans is kind of in the middle of that of that stretch of the river. 59% of corn exports. So really c- critical for all, for so many farmers located throughout the country to have a, ver- have a functioning, operational lower Mississippi River with all those export terminals. And we were very pleased that um, Hurricane Barry was didn't impose as much harm as it could have. It, it just shows that we were just re- we're and we continue to operate very much at the margins, and we don't have a lot of pad uh, space on some of these levees. We have elevated water levels at the Lower Mississippi River, largely due to so much of the rain that the the Midwest and Plain States has experienced uh, really since late winter of 2019 and so when you have elevated water levels like that uh, and all of a sudden you have a storm that's coming that will dump additional rain and then also will provide the storm surge which kind of just pushes a bunch of water around uh, it really becomes very worrisome and for not only agriculture but a host of other industries and all the communities that reside down there. You talk about how the the water and obviously the the ebb and flow of the levels. You know, it's important to make sure that we're making these investments that really you know preserve our ability to use that river for you know the purposes that you know agriculture has you know benefited from for years. And you know, one of the things that I'm really observing and participating in myself as it relates to infrastructure planning. Historically, the focus tends to be on 
the economics of transportation or the reliability of transportation or how fast you can deliver product from point A to point B. With all of these pretty significant weather events that the Midwest has experienced, our coastlines have, have experienced, all of a sudden you're, you're hearing a lot more discussion about resiliency of the infrastructure, making sure that when Mother Nature throws a punch at you, uh, to what extent are you able to slip that punch or to what extent can you get up from that punch if you've been knocked down? And so it, it really, these kind of events and certainly the flooding that we've experienced in states like Nebraska and Iowa and, and throughout the Midwest and Plain states, <clears throat> it really um, you know, further reinforces that we have to make sure that we're, when we're planning and maintaining this infrastructure that serves agriculture and a host of industries, that resiliency to these weather events needs to be a real priority. And as everybody starts to flood, then there's the concern about silt moving into the Mississippi. It, it certainly does, and you know you've you've got you know, and and I think it's really important to to really use the we and us pronouns um, when we've got these events that happen in the Midwest and Plain State. Comments coming from Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Over the past 18 years, KRVN, The River, and Cami have given away some pretty incredible vehicles, and this year will be no exception. We're also honoring our Nebraska Strong this summer, so follow us to special Nebraska events, fairs, festivals, and concerts all summer long, and register for your chance to win a brand new 2018 Ram 4x4 pickup. This metallic black truck has a custom Dodge bulge hood. Being Nebraska Strong, we would like to encourage you to continue with relief efforts to our friends, neighbors, and family across the state by making donations through the Nebraska Bankers Association. Helping us bring the Ram to your town is Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land Tire Group, Lexington Regional Health Center, and Cornerstone Bank member FDIC. With 42 locations serving Nebraska, head over to the Fun and Games page at krvn.com to find out when the Ram will be in your area. Register and you could be bringing it home. Joey Nelson on the World Radio Network. We talk a plummeting grain market today. With John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Let's go back to about the 4th of July, right in there in that period just before the 4th. You look now, and I don't know, there wasn't that much difference in price, is there? No, we're essentially traded in the 30-cent range, but uh, we're right where we left, really Thursday close and then the close again before the 4th. So market seems to have a, a little bit of a, a push and pull. One with the weather, obviously, is, is certainly threatening this way. And, um, you know, I was out, out in Iowa City, Iowa, on Friday and then drove all the way back here uh, two different directions. Uh, and both both directions, the corn looks really short. So uh, the idea that we're going to have a trend yield in Illinois is out. Indiana out, Ohio out, uh, and now the threat is really Iowa. Some of the producers there tell me that, uh, you know, without two weeks of rain that, that they're not going to get here, uh, they could be looking at subtrend yields as well. So you got essentially th- four of the biggest producing states not having it. You counter that against wheat, and Casey Wheat obviously coming off a really good harvest. They, they raised the yield on uh, on the report on Thursday to put 50 bushels an acre production. Uh, even though stocks are a little bit less than they were a year ago, it's still hard to, to, to get the market to move You know, upwards closer to $5 when, when you're seeing the rest of the globe essentially get cheaper. That's going to weigh on corn. So we have this push and pull here. I think the, the, the market's range bound really for the next month. You're going to see some sharp moves up and down. And, uh, you know, maybe low, low 430s, you jump long, get out just below uh, 460. 
the uh, dollar didn't help as far as the uh, uh, price of wheat or corn today, did it? No, commodities were down across the board. Really, based off of the uh, the China data, China big big consumer of of, of raw materials. Um, I knew a guy one time who told me that for commodities to trade like they did back in 2006, seven and eight, you need China to grow at eight percent. They're growing at six point two, and that's by their own accord, their own admission. They they probably could be growing closer to four four and a half percent if you really drill down into it, uh, and that's just not going to be good enough to get prices to really move. So. Um, you know, we're trading off innuendo and weather, and at this point tonight we'll have an opportunity to, to find something else to trade around. Uh, I expect crop conditions to show some deterioration. Uh, soybeans would be the one that you look at the, with the most exposure here. Uh, you know, we're through, or at, or through pollination for some of the corn markets, but beans have a lot of, a lot to go through still to get to development, and uh, I think tonight we'll get some fuel at least to bring this thing back up to, say, 450, and we'll call it 920 beans. Okay, thanks. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. That's danielsagmarketing.com. Double-digit drops, corn, soybeans, and wheat today. This is the Rural Radio Network. That'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com, Twitter, our app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.